Good morning, y'all. Words, words matter. Sometimes they sound better than others when they put a British voice in the video before the preacher that has a twang. I don't know how I feel about that. But we must press forward. And I'm excited to be with you this morning and, and in, a, in an otherwise dreadful week. It was... Uh, Cathartic and beautiful to study uh, this passage in Luke 4 and the passages around it and connected with it uh, to help, you know, make some sense of what is all going on around us. But yes, words matter. Fred Craddock, uh, who I mention a lot, uh, a pastor that has uh, meant so much to me, he, he said at one point in his ministry that he doesn't believe that the spoken word will ever lose its style. It'll always be the primary means of uh, the exchange of ideas. Well, that's good news for the preacher. (laughs) And a bit daunting as well. That uh, is a great deal of pressure because words matter. You know, so much of what we say each week is um, thoughtfully pared down, hopefully thoughtfully. Um, We have many ideas, some much better (laughs) than others. And many of those ideas, they get left on the threshing room floor of the sermon writing room. And in this regard, it becomes difficult sometimes, to, even more difficult, to make the words count, to be efficient, to be concise. Uh, I was able to cut my teeth doing this at the Thursday business lunch gathering downtown. Um, and Pastor Frank would all, uh, so graciously allow me to fill in for him pretty often and I remember the first time I did, or one of the first times, he, he took some time to explain to me that, you know, these five to eight minute sermons that we would bring uh, to a very sharp crowd who, who came, you know, from so many different businesses for that cost-effective chicken every Thursday uh, at lunchtime, they were sharp, and it required consideration about what to say, and to preach a five to eight minute sermon was harder than a longer one because there was more to cut, right? Makes sense. Well found that to be true. But it's also difficult on Sunday morning. We have to figure out how to help characterize what God is doing. Uh, Scott said it very well in the welcome uh, with what God is, is how how, how God wants to work through us, responding to all that is going on around us each week. You're a sharp group, really sharp. You need good leadership, good partnership. My words matter. And then some weeks are much more weighty than others, right? First rule for us speaking and trying to encourage and influence is to know thy audience. This is good counsel because of what Dr. Frank Lutz says in his book, Words Matter. Uh, It's not so much what we say that matters as much as it is what people hear. An audience's predispositions, worldview, all of their biases help shape what is heard regardless of what the intent of the speaker may be. So yeah, words matter matter a lot. Politicians know this. They are trained to know their audience. They know this so well that they can often abandon personal beliefs or even misrepresent how they will govern once elected in order to get elected. Of course, there are shades or degrees to which candidates, to the degree to which candidates do this to get elected, but make no mistake, words get you elected, at least for a first term. Yes, words matter. Scott mentioned we were in Matthew 9 this morning in our baby, baby Bible daily reading plan. 
Matthew 6 and 7 were earlier in the week. Jesus, you know, you remember going through last spring, going through the Sermon on the Mount, where these uh, chapters, what these chapters comprise. Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, he, he encourages us not to babble on like many do when they pray, hoping that they'll be heard for their many words. Jesus is encouraging us to make the words count, to be uh, precise, to mean what we say. In chapter 5, he talks about swearing oaths, or not swearing oaths, not being flippant with promises, not making promises at all, letting our yes be yes and our no be no, meaning what we say, because words matter. Okay, I think you're with me. Words matter. That brings us to Luke chapter 4. Let's turn there. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we will begin reading today in verse 14. If you've been paying attention the last couple of weeks, and I hope you have, we have seen John the Baptist baptize many, Jesus among them, and now upon being baptized, his ministry, as Luke records it, will now begin in Galilee. Verse 14, it says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee. In the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being praised by everyone. He came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. As, as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and then stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, the scripture has been fulfilled. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by his gracious words, the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, isn't this Joseph's son? May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. You know, Jesus in reading Isaiah 61, he's, he's both fulfilling prophecy as well as making a declaration, an announcement of his role as Messiah. He utters that he is the anointed one. He's saying he is the Christ, the Savior of the world. These words matter a lot. Isaiah 61 helps us to see that Jesus is, is called out to turn everything upside down or, or right side up, depending on how you may look at it. The poor will be lifted up. Those, those imprisoned by systemic injustice will be set free. Those who have the hood pulled over their eyes will be freed up to see. Hear this, y'all. Words matter, but ultimately words matter because they inspire action. Now, I remember years ago, British comedian Ricky Gervais, who does not miss an opportunity to be critical of Christians, unfortunately. And this was, at, I don't know what year this was, but I remember that a, a, round, a round of really bad storms had come through Oklahoma, tornadoes, that doesn't narrow it down, but these were bad. And Gervais tweeted, I was going to send money, but then I noticed all of these brilliant Christians saying they were going to send their thoughts and prayers 
And I decided to do that instead. Now, while super snarky, Gervais does make a point worth considering. What if our action stops with prayer? This week, I I was reminded of this particular story because this week, a friend of mine tweeted, another critic of the church tweeted, Hey, thoughts and prayers crowd, how's that working out for you? Again, fair criticism if thoughts and prayers are the extent of what we do. But I'm reminded of the great Oswald Chambers and what he said about prayer. He said that in his estimation, prayer does not change things as much as prayer changes him. And then he changed things. Yes, words matter because they inspire action. They ultimately don't matter without action. Jesus' audience knew Isaiah 61. They knew this passage he was quoting. Jesus knew his audience. God is about action. The year of the Lord's favor has come. The oppressed will be set free. The blind sight restored. The poor will hear the good news, but not because Jesus says so. It does not become so just because he says so. No, Jesus' ministry is launching here, and he will ultimately, better than anybody ever has, because he's God, he will ultimately model exactly what this looks like. And that will ultimately find him on trial. And then on the cross, hung to die precisely because he followed through with the words he chooses to say here in our passage. Too many of those who knew this passage, and his audience knew this passage, and too many of those who knew it were were waiting on a Messiah that was going to be different than what Jesus is quoting here. They didn't didn't want to believe what Isaiah was saying. In Isaiah 61, they they were expecting a Messiah that wielded power with a sword. They were expecting one who would make things right by force and immediately. But remember, Jesus came and ministered in an upside down manner against expectations because it is love and not any particular form of political power that has the ability to heal. Love that specifically looks like what Jesus is saying by quoting Isaiah 61. Now, I hope that every week there is an understanding, whether it's completely explicit or not, an understanding of a call to action that comes from each of these sermons that we hear together. And I hope that every one of those is set in the already but not yet nature of God's kingdom, that that God's kingdom has both already come and it is still yet to come fully. Now, Scripture, as I see it and study it, is much more about what will ultimately happen and what is now happening than it is about what has happened. Jesus is quoting Isaiah 61 aspirationally, saying these things are happening through him, so giddy up, but they also ultimately will happen Fully. 
So we study God's word to, to know God more so that we can be more like Jesus. We, we pray to commune with God in a way that makes us more like Jesus precisely because there is work to do. Now, sometimes I think those of us in the church with you that have been here forever, we hear things like be like Jesus and it sounds so familiar that it can, we can miss it or, or, or its importance can fail to register with us can sound so familiar that we fail to consider its ramifications. But in light of Jesus's words here in Luke chapter four, we cannot make that mistake. The stakes are quite simply too high. The spirit was on Jesus. He was anointed and now the spirit is on us. Now, this bumper video alluded to it. We've been over it in the last couple of weeks. John the Baptist was baptizing folks. Many were there, and Jesus took his place amongst all the people. And Jesus was baptized, and the, the Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of the dove and said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we see this vivid representation that Luke gives us a picture of the Holy Spirit coming and resting on Jesus and God, sending God's favor to Jesus so that all the people that were gathered around could see it unfold. And in, during this scene, a little earlier, but within the, what was going on, as people were being baptized, John the Baptist was giving them an idea of what it looked like now that they were baptized, what their lives should look like, precisely because the people, if you'll remember, asked him, hey, what, what do we do now? What should we do? And that was at the point in the story where Luke tells us that Jesus, it's revealed that he's there and he gets baptized and begins showing us what we should do. And then the spirit comes upon him. And then he begins his ministry in Galilee and the rest of Luke, as we go through it for the next few months, are going to show us exactly what Luke thinks is important about what Jesus did. That's a good place to start. So we're reading through the Bible this year. What should we do is what they ask. And then if you fast forward to Acts chapter two, when Luke tells us about Pentecost, which is what we understand to be the Holy Spirit coming upon the church, you and me, we see Peter preach this incredible message that's so far away better than anything I could do for you. So I wish we could have get in, you know, Michael J. Fox's car and go back and, and, and be a part of that sermon and hear it. Because after he preached that sermon, everybody who was listening looked at him and said, what do we do? It's the same question that they asked. What do we do? Now, what encourages me about this is I think the people listening are getting it right. They didn't retreat to their thoughts and prayers. They didn't retreat to saying, oh, I just hope that somebody heard it. They said, what do we do? I believe that it registered. And it's important that it does because we are anointed as sons and daughters of God to continue the life and work of Jesus. To continue the life and work of Jesus. To be like him, like we talked about last week. Fixing our eyes on him in order that we can point others to him. So surrendering our lives to Jesus in order to obtain salvation, well, that has ramifications. It requires of us not to get the salvation. Jesus took care of that. But it calls us to a lifestyle. To join a group of people also following and being formed by Jesus, a local congregation, that has ramifications. It requires of us that which Isaiah 61 professes, that which Jesus says here. Jesus comes to do these things and he does them and he continues to do them today through us because the work is not yet finished. It's obvious it's not yet finished. Look what happened Wednesday. Come on. It's just not. So we study God's word. 
and we pray. Not to get perfect attendance awards. Because it, ma- but because it matters to study and pray. These are the things we talked about last week. Jesus did them and so must we. We are called to be like Jesus in this regard. But we can't stop there. As we continue to go through Luke, we're going to see what else Jesus did. And he did things. We act. We work. We put our prayers and our formation and our study into action. I always want us to be able to see how God is calling us to work within the coming of God's kingdom. That is what scripture has this unbelievable power to do. To open our eyes to all that God is doing in us and around us and seeks to do. Because there is still work to do. This is how we act. This is how we show that our words matter. And that they turn into actions that heal. Now here are a couple things I believe are important for us to consider in light of all this. First, must be humble. We are all works in progress. Even that person in your life that aggravates you the most person that you can stand the least. God is still leading us. God is still teaching us. We are works of art in the process of being created, always with more to learn, always with more kindness to to summon and, and exert new perspectives to consider. Be humble, y'all. Next. Ready for this? It's a little, it's a little uh, different. Be average. I know that sounds strange because so often the world tells us to be extraordinary. And if I'm, if, if I'm caught in the most honest of my moments, I, I want my kids to be extraordinary, sure. But too often, I think that whatever it is that I put on social media is just going to make all the difference. It's going to turn people around. Come on. Paul says in Romans twelve three, none of us should think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And then in Philippians 2, a little earlier in the passage that Oksana read earlier, he says, in humility, we should consider others better than ourselves. In being average, you can focus on simple things, like doing the next right thing, like random acts of kindness. You can be freed up from the busyness that leaves no margin in our lives. Instead, we, we find ourselves with the margin to, to help others, to, to respond as we notice or as we're asked of us, or to go help others when they don't ask, maybe even when they don't need it. That's cool. This leads us to the last way to be, I think, that Jesus is calling us to be. And that's a part of this congregation. Or another congregation. Whoever may happen on our online feed this morning, wherever you live, wherever you are, be a part of church. Be a part of a church. Be one of us. One of, one of these people. With all of our warts. All of our scars. There's far more we can do together than on our own. There was this house just down the street in this little town. It's a long time ago. It sat empty for a while, but 
eventually a family moved in, and it was winter, and it was very cold. And there was a wood-burning stove in the center of the house, and there was a, a chopping block and an axe in the backyard. It got colder. They ran out of wood, so the father went outside and looked at the chopping block, but then he looked at his house and noticed some of the boards were loose, so he just started pulling the boards off the house, putting them in the fire. Well, it got colder. The wood burned, so he went and got more boards. It kept getting colder. It kept going and getting more boards until there were no more boards on the house, and then, well, the house is really drafty at that point, and there are no more boards. And the husband and the wife, they look at the stove, and it's not burning any longer, and they, they curse the stove, and then they curse the house, and then they, then they pack up and leave. You know, there was an axe, and there was a chopping block in the backyard. And there was a whole forest 100 feet behind that. How many people do we know who think that they have their own resources, their own strength, their own power to handle all of the things that life throws at them, throws at us? They don't. I don't. You don't. Jesus was not launching a personal ministry here alone. He was announcing his church. And that has never been about personal salvation as much as it has been about a body of believers coming to faith in Jesus, coming to follow Jesus and coming to be formed by Jesus, a group, a community working together to partner with God in the coming of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And yes, all that we say about this matters so much. Words matter precisely because they inspire action. So may our actions remind people of Jesus and his church. Last thing. Here's a picture of Hattie, my daughter, and her dog. Isn't that sweet? She just grabs Annie by the neck pretty much all day, every day. Is that always going to be that? Anyway, this is my daughter, Hattie, and her dog, Annie. My daughter has it all. She has a dog who loves her. Brothers who take such good care of her. A loving home that although it is not perfect, she is loved. A church family to love her that loves her so well, even in a pandemic. Teachers and mentors to care for her and that will continue to care for her so well. This daughter of mine has as good a chance as anybody who has ever lived to know Jesus, to come to follow him and be formed by him all the days of her life. Not everyone is so lucky. The good news of the gospel is good news for everybody. But it is really good news for those who don't have it as good as Hattie. What is the promise of eternal freedom to the prisoner? Hey, what about sight to those who have never seen? What about a day where it is promised that there will be no oppression for, for people who have only known oppression. Anyone 
anyone who the world has deemed less than, not as good as, or, or part of the underbelly of the world. Anyone who feels that way. Everyone who feels that way. Jesus says it so clearly here. You no longer have to feel that way. That is not your story. These words of Jesus matter. They matter. They are the very best words. They are good news of great joy for all people. Believe them today and act on them. Let's pray.